1: What's happening, everybody? It's me, cannabis industry lawyer, Tom Howard. We're going to talk about how to raise funds for your cannabis company on today's webinar. This will be uh, three main webinars in the sense that the first, we're going to talk about it in overarching how to raise funds, and then we're going to drill into the last two points. Uh, The first of the points will be underwriting for uh, debt markets. We'll talk about the debt markets. And then the, the third point, the last point, will be underwriting for the equity markets, uh those would be private offerings that your company can sell to raise itself some funds uh and this is our little presentation so i have that um sometimes i'll say um because i have small technical difficulties uh here's my contact info hopefully you guys have tuned into the channel before cannabis legalization news you can just press the like button and then subscribe if you haven't i'd be shocked if you haven't um Those are my social medias and a little bit about me. Why do I have the ability to go ahead and do a presentation about how to fund your cannabis company? Uh, After I got out of law school in 2008 and during while I was in law school in 2005 through eight, I learned about business and I was like, this is great. Uh, And so I wanted to become a stockbroker and I did uh, in October of 2008. It was just wrong place, wrong time. Uh, Everybody in that industry got fired and I wanted to you know, use that understanding of the education that I had from law and the education that I had from stocks and bonds and series seven kind of shit, uh, and how you price things and use that to kind of do what I can do now, uh, which is basically some underwriting and some investment uh, which is not really a word um, for people in the cannabis industry that have licenses that are trying to figure out how to raise capital because it can be quite complex and convoluted. And and they don't really teach this stuff. And well, they do maybe in law school and B school. But other than that, you know, if you're a CFA, maybe you've seen it if you understand how to calculate the value of a share of a security. uh, Or if you know how to calculate uh, bond valuation and bond yields, we aren't going to be talking about that today. We are going to be talking about uh, fundraising. And then sometimes uh, to go over the slides, I'll just go ahead and toggle, not like that, like that, like this, like this, so that I can be more of a just a fly on the wall. And then other times I will be here. Sometimes I should have a co-host because then I can take a break. Uh, I'll edit this and then these will become three new videos for the channel, Cannabis Legalization News, as part of our How to Cannabis and also our fundraising playlists. You can check those out then. Uh, We'll also be giving you guys an unlisted URL for this uh, webinar so that you can refer back to it. If you want those materials that we're going to be going after, I have that. Uh, This one, of course, says that getting a license can be the easy part, especially in New Jersey. Ooh, New Jersey. Uh, Most cannabis companies need to raise funds, which, of course, is true even in New Jersey or in, uh, well, any state. Most that's the that's the rub. And so like if they make the state too easy to get a license in there, uh, you might not want to go and cap can capitalize your business, you may want to try to bootstrap. It's one thing to try to bootstrap a law firm. It's another thing entirely to try to bootstrap a cannabis company in especially a highly uh, competitive marketplace like a Michigan or like a uh, Colorado, which just seen a lot of consolidation over the past decade, which is only the first decade. Uh, so The ability to be able to raise funds for your company is extremely important. And to understand the types of funds that are there, we're going to talk about that pretty soon. Um, Sometimes I have to make sure that that still works, and it does. So let's go over the types of funding that are available to your companies. Now, cannabis companies are not all that different. They are just illegal. Self-funding, debt financing, securities financing. So the self-funding, that is... No one. Like, again, it says 9% of Americans are millionaires. So uh, and then even even if they have that money, I would still say don't sell fund. And we'll explain that in a bit. Uh, And then well, don't entirely sell fund, sell fund to the extent that you reasonably need to. uh, And then if you do not do that beyond, uh, we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. uh, The third one is the securities. Now, the securities markets are huge. The securities markets, including uh, the debt securities I want to say the stocks publicly traded or over the counter, 20 trillion, maybe not right now. They've been selling off lately uh, in the United States market, at least about 15 to 20 trillion. Let's get that 5 trillion right there. And then you have um, private debt markets or debt markets that aren't bonds, and that's at about 12 and a half trillion. And then you have the bond market, which is, uh, we'll go over what bonds are during the securities financing portion which is about $47 So out of all the equities that are out there, there's a lot more in debt, and there's good reason for it. Let's see. So let's talk a little bit about debt and how debt can make your company more profitable, which most people get scared about. They're like, wait, debt's going to make my company more profitable? Uh, And so I have a little bit of a uh, example here with a hypothetical ten million dollar um, startup costs. and so you're going to have a grow. Let's say it's a craft grow, so it also has extraction and goes up to fourteen thousand square foot of flowering canopy, which is usually around like tier two ish level on the east coast, uh, ten thousand to fifteen thousand square feet of flowering canopy, for example. Not a, a small build, you know, thousands of plants, uh, millions of dollars, maybe ten million dollars. In your startup costs and so you could have one guy just put the whole 10 million dollars down right now you can find financing out there we can help you find financing out there you know at cannabisindustrylawyer.com if you want to find me on the internet or uh, that's my ig handle uh, you might be able to find 30 percent, 20 percent down if it's a construction loan or the types of uh, other loan products that are kind of more popular in europe but out there uh, and then you have your down payment money and then that comes with $3 million down, $7 million financed. Let's say it's a 10% rate of interest and it's cannabis. You'd be lucky if it's 10%. That's about $700,000 a year. Uh, and so you'd have your debt service that you would pay, which of course is interest. So it's deductible. I believe we'd have to get our accountant on the line. Maybe the uh, all the interest is deductible because of 280E, but I don't think that's how it applies. And uh, so you have your down payment and then you have your interest payment. And then after that, you'd be profitable. But if you put the whole $10 million down, do you have to return the whole $10 million to the investor before you have a dollar of profit? Uh, Now, if these future cash flows that you're going to be able to have uh, are going to be able to service the debt, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But these future cash flows are what really give you your credit rating or your credit worthiness. We're going to also go over commercial, uh, banking, which is something that I did. After I became a stockbroker was a lot of commercial banking. I was a lawyer for them. So uh, the self funding, again, I I stress not to do this. Uh, And so instead, what you should do is run some models and see how much debt your company can handle. Now in the 1980s, which were a strange decade, uh, spreadsheets were just coming into vogue. And you could figure out uh, from those how much money, a possible LBO target made every year, cash. And so you would be able to then estimate how much cash that thing could uh, fund towards debt. And then you would load all that stuff up on debt and use that to buy it out. So those are the all leverage buyouts. Now, uh, they were able to get done because they could finance debt from cash flows. You, as a cannabis company, are in the agricultural commodity market. So you, in theory, have a yield if you're on one side of the plant that's that's flowering it. Uh, the extraction yield still has a yield, a little bit different math. And then the retail... Uh to a certain extent, that's not necessarily a yield, but uh, there's a definitely an output velocity there. We know how much to reasonably be expect for you to sell based on uh, numbers that are in the markets. A lot of these markets, of course, they're legacy. They're Washington State. They're Colorado. Uh, Michigan publishes some pretty good data. Illinois does not. Uh, and so that's the other thing that I bring up on having debt instead of just self-funding. I should have put self-funding, but not entirely. Uh, don't you have a fiduciary duty to maximize profit? And so if you have a debt line item instead of a huge uh, capital investment that you have to repay, uh, then you'd be able to have much more profitable of a business. Sure. In theory, you'd want to pay off that. So you're paying more than just the interest. But uh, that interest is tax advantaged. And then it also allows you to say that you have a profit before you have to repay all of the equity uh, infused by that one particular shareholder. Uh, And so that's one of the reasons why you want to use debt. You just have your debt service with your cash flow, and then everything else on top of it is considered profits. And of course, creditors get paid first. It's another reason why people might want to consider debt. Uh, Next one. So these are the debt markets, and you're going to be able to access them in cannabis. There's no shortage of lenders that are out there Uh, trying to find cannabis licenses and then loan them money at double-digit rates with a lot of points for brokers or for origination. Uh, And and that's just kind of where you're at. Because these debt markets aren't like the the $12.5 trillion that was in uh, Q1 of 2022 that are in non-financial business debts. You know, not bonds, loans with banks and whatnot. Now, most of these banks that you have in cannabis are private equity funds, you know, family offices. It's not an FDIC insured lender. It can't be. So there's no SBA loans. You know, if you have an SBA loan and you want to put your facility or your operations into that, you're going to cause a default in that mortgage and most mortgages. Uh, and as a result, um, a lot of private lending and private banking, Is what's fueling the cannabis industry's growth not the uh, mom-and-pop banks not the community banks not even the big banks Uh, banks won't touch this stuff because it literally is money laundering to have a bank account as a plant touching cannabis license Uh, fortunately they have not been enforcing that aspect of the law since 2014 because of a memo that came out of the Department of Justice's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's quite boring, but um, there's a way to compliantly launder the money, at least for state licensed cannabis companies. It's one of the reasons why Clarence Thomas causes, calls our uh, laws more episodic than coherent, uh, and that's not necessarily the best thing because this, these markets, these credit markets are still there for regular businesses, they're just even easier to access. So these other markets, the the non traditional lending markets, uh, they're going to have a higher juicier interest rate. You're going to have to pay that. But welcome to the cannabis industry. For example, you can even get like construction loans. There's construction loans out there to start up your business, but you usually have to prepay all the interest first. You're going to pay about 20% of the total project down in an account that's going to go to interest over the course of maybe four years let's say as you get up and going Uh, however you have to realize how your financial um, models really work Uh, we go over those a lot uh, at the office over at collateral base because you need to see the cash flowing or at least the pro forma aspect of the cash flowing to be able to determine how much debt you can service and then also what a reasonable uh, discounted cash flow analysis valuation is of that business that is cash flowing. Uh, these things are complex, but you know it's, it's not the options pricing algorithm at least. And then there's equity financing. Equity is different than debt. Uh, even though like a bond, what's a bond? A bond is a promise to pay. It's very similar to a uh, promissory note, like a loan, but they are two different uh, methods of kind of doing the same thing Uh, a bond. Let's say is have them in increments of $1,000. You could sell $10,000 worth of bonds or borrow $10,000. That loan would have an interest rate and a payment schedule. And then it might be very truly like a bond if it's its interest only Uh, if you're only paying the interest just like in a bond. You would be paying the, the coupon payments or the interest payments and then upon maturity you pay off the bond. Now, uh, sometimes a promissory note might have uh, the same thing where it's just paying interest. And then at the end of it, you pay off the note, or perhaps it converts into a class of equity or some type of shares. Now, they also have that in bonds. They call it mezzanine bonds or mezzanine financing. We're going to go over the capital stack here later. And these are all the these are all the things in the the swiss army knife that is the financial ability of your company to be able to sell crap besides wheat uh i mean itself i mean debt i mean uh portions of its future cash flows all of those types of things and if you see the license that you fought so hard to get as having all these other rights and potential avenues for cash flows it raising money isn't easy it especially is not easy in the cannabis industry uh, and, and so you really need to have an understanding of what is available for you. But that's what a mezzanine debt is. Uh, you could have it be a convertible note. You could have it be a mezzanine bond. And it gives that owner a right to buy in, typically for a discount. And then in, in the case of mesonet bonds, it comes with a warrant. We'll be talking about those as well later on. And then you get your equity valuations how does why is a share of a stock a share of a stock's price we aren't going to go over that specific um formula and there is a formula out there uh, and of course it could be garbage in garbage out you know it's it's an algorithm uh we are going to go over the discounted cash flow analysis a little bit i'm not even going to show you like it on an excel being calculated Uh, Essentially, what that really means is that uh, you average the amount of the cash flow ability and then you give it a terminal value, like a terminal. Like once it gets up and going, the the terminal valuation is like what you think that cash flow is into perpetuity or for lack of a better term, into the future. Uh, And and you average all those together and that gives you a particular valuation. Sometimes it's expressed in terms of EBITDA. So like, you know, seven EBITDA. Dispensaries usually they they do you could also calculate that out, but they usually do more of a multiple of top-line revenue So like a dispensary might sell for 1.5 X top-line revenue But then if you crunch all the numbers that might actually be five to seven EBITDA Uh, We're gonna go over all that type of stuff, but that is the general The general explanation of what we're gonna be going over and the options that are available to cannabis license holders to capitalize their business and now I'm gonna click. So we're done with that. That's that's the end of this part of it. Uh, now we're gonna focus a lot on underwriting, and on private placements. We'll take a small drink and uh, remind you that it is 4:20 somewhere. Cause it's about 20 past the hour. I just don't want you guys watch me swig my soda. Okay, so you have gotten through uh, the general understanding and now you've put together your team, you have a license, you are going to get your personal financial statements out and you're going to calculate your gap because this is the underwriting. How do you actually qualify for a loan uh, besides having the cannabis license, maybe even in a limited state like Illinois, you know, not like in in an open state like a New Jersey, but even in Michigan, is packaging a license and then selling it off a cottage industry. So New Jersey's really lucky they can do that. In Illinois, we could maybe do it on steroids. Uh, more on that later. So let's kind of zoom in to this chart and play a little jazz on that. So how do you get through underwriting? Underwriting, what is that? It's the process of creating a loan. So we, as the bank, will be examining the, the borrower, And that borrower needs to demonstrate how the bank, the lender, the creditor gets paid back. Uh, What collateral is there in case anything goes wrong? What other assurances does the lender have to be able to be paid? So your first position is you're gonna get your team. uh, Who is on your team? If you've gotten a cannabis license already, you've clearly put together a team. Hopefully one of the members of the team had capital experience. I don't care if this is your CFO. Uh, I don't care if it's your real estate guy. Uh, I someone on your team, hopefully, is a successful business person who rubs elbows with other people in his social economic class, which is at least an accredited investor. Um, there's other ones that are like more rich that you really want to train on, but they. Uh, are even more difficult to find, like qualified purchasers, for example, and other particular parties as defined under the Investment Securities Act, the one from 1940. Um, and so the second part then is you really have to understand how much money you have to put as a down payment. And that down payment money, that is in cash. You really don't want to go to a lender with a second position on anything because that, that lender is going to want a first position or what they're going to call a senior creditor. That's at the end right there. You're going to be planning your capital stack now. And what does that mean, your capital stack? That's the whole megilla of your cannabis company's ownership and rights to repayment. So, you know, on your cash flows, if you do one of those loans where, let's say, if the state of Illinois, for example, you can get a million dollar loan. And so you're going to show this million dollars coming in on the statement of cash flows. But then of course there's an obligation over there. It's canceling out on the balance sheet after the cash is funded and says, well, we gotta repay that. But at least you'd see it flowing through as cash and then you you go use it to do other things. Uh, But then that is going to influence your capital stack. And so you're gonna have your creditors, you're gonna have your equity holders, you're gonna have, they call it diluted and and non-diluted. And what does that mean? It usually means the people that have the contingent right to the ownership, for example, the convertible bond or the convertible note. So right now it's a debt, but in the future it might be equities. And so there'd be more shares or units in the cases of an LLC. And, and that would dilute the, the uh, EPS or the earnings per share valuation that you may have for your company. So to get through underwriting for that loan, you are gonna need to put together all of these things. Who is on the team? what money do you have that's actually down that you what's your skin in the game. And it's usually on the order of 20 to 35%. So bring 20 to 35% of the table of your total project. And you'll probably be able to find a lender if you have the right team. Uh, And then let's kind of go over the capital stack and do this a little bit more visually. So you can kind of see it. Well, I've already talked about teams. I wanted to go to the capital stack first, five commercial C's kind of spaced on this, I guess, but, um, Let's talk about this with the capital stack. Common equity, that is just you know your regular share of stock. You get a vote, one person, one vote. Then you have your preferred equity. Uh, these people very often don't get a vote. They may still have some exertion of control in any particular way, but they get paid first. They are going to get a certain return off the top after you've paid your creditors. And then you have your mezzanine debt behind that and so that is uh, mezzanine debt being convertible notes uh, or mezzanine bonds which are basically convertible bonds uh, a bond with a warrant stuck onto it and no warrants just an option to buy uh, ru- you know an equity share for a particular uh, price and then senior debt and this would be first priority creditors and so those first priority creditors that's the person who has the mortgage on your house not the second mortgage the first one uh, and, and so that's your risk return. So the common equity holders, they have the most risk. They can lose it all. They might even have signed personal guarantees. And so therefore they can make the most. <clears throat> and then down the line, senior debt, they made a deal for a particular percentage. And then some people are like, well, what's the prepayment penalty? Sure, they'll even check that. But they know that it's a creditor. Once they've been repaid, according to the terms of that contract, that lien is discharged, it's gone, you don't have to deal with the person anymore. Unlike mezzanine debt, preferred equity or common equity. All right. now let's catch back up on those previous two ones. Uh, So then there's your team, business executives, sale and marketing, experienced professionals, Uh, your, your underwriter is going to be a little wary or leery if you've never done this before, and uh, you're pre money. And so there's a difference between pre money and post money and so that really is are you in operations already uh, the vast majority of licenses that need to get stood up uh, need a, a substantial you know uh, amount of money let's say the average dispensary is 1.5 million average highly regulated dispensary not even like new mexico and definitely not maine um regulations but ones regulations like ohio or illinois or new jersey or new york uh, you know, the South, uh, not Oklahoma. Those types of regulations are going to require you to spend a lot of money on security and odor mitigation. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the security. Tens of thousands of dollars on the odor mitigation. Uh, and the $1.5 is an average budget for your dispensary. Uh, most teams may be able to get that, and we're going to talk a- about private placement memorandums here uh, later on. Uh, but, you know, they might not need a private placement memorandum for a dispensary. And then you have um, the rest of the people that are on your team. Hopefully on here is that experienced professional at the back, you know, right there at the bottom. The business executives, you know, tap into people that actually have money, your sales and marketing people. These are people, people. They are good with relationships and they can help you move your product. And then uh, experienced professionals, those are your growers, those are your extractors. And then, of course, your consumer packaged goods people or your retail professionals. Maybe you've gotten four different dispensaries stood up in a different state and you're just entering into a new state. And sure, while you could put down the $3 million, you'd like to be a little light and finance the thing a little bit. Um, Okay, let's then continue on to the next one. This is what uh, the five Cs of commercial credit. Now, this is uh, this takes me back because I have not represented financial institutions for about four years. Uh, but then you have, well, I did do that one. That's not true. I, I did have one small matter for a financial. That was a favor. That was a favor this past year. Um, so collateral. That is what do you do to ensure your uh, stuff that you borrowed is repaid? So if you're going to build uh, a ten million dollar uh, facility, uh, you're going to have substantial collateral uh, in in the sense that you have an asset, a hard underlying asset. You might be able to get that 70-30. And then capital, that is like the skin in the game. How much actual money do you have? Conditions. Why does this make financial sense? Because one of the worst things is being right at the wrong time because you're still wrong. You know, it doesn't matter if you are right. And so like you have to look at the conditions. Why does it make financial sense? Well, because I'm in Illinois and there's only this many licenses. So we don't think the price is going to go this low and nobody's offering this particular product. Uh, What about New Jersey? Maybe something similar. You're still early. Uh, You know, if you're in New Mexico, same, you know, you're you're still. And then it's why does it make financial sense? That gets into minding your margin. and that minding your margin, that's just business operators. Do you have real business operators uh, character? Why do you why do, Why are you trustworthy? So that is the character of the person. Like, you know, do uh, you have something you could lose? Like uh, very often you might have a lawyer or an accountant on your team because they are licensed. They aren't going to risk their particular license or like a doctor. Same thing. They also have a license. So they uh, they have demonstrated at least to regulators in that state trust which is quite important from getting a a cannabis license or getting a a loan. And then finally, that capacity aspect. Cash flows is what I mean by capacity. How much of this product should you be able to sell? Uh, uh, The the financial modeling, you know, they're pro forma for the sake of forms. Uh, So we'll talk more about that when we're actually doing the security offering. Uh, So that is what you need to get through underwriting. It is a multifaceted um, thing that people have written a lot of books about underwriting, especially bankers have written a lot of them. Uh, And they are looking for those five things. They're making sure that you have adequate skin in the game. uh, And then they'll be able to extend you credit if you find them and you can pay their points. But that is how you can really take the amount of money that we're going to talk about the securities now and that could be the actual cash and then turn that cash into the debt uh, and that might also explain why the securities market in the United States is just a fraction of the total market and the larger fraction is the debt market whether or not that is uh, corporate bond debt in the 47 billion sorry trillion dollar range or the uh, bank debt in the approximately 12 and a half trillion dollar range or then there's finally the equities which are approximately 20 trillion So it's about two-thirds in debt and about a third in equity All right, now we're gonna have some fun Let's go sell some securities So Here's how you're going to do the security aspect of it You're going to have a plan and some models and then that plan and models is going to go to an investor And that investor is hopefully going to give you the cash. And then you're going to use that cash and you're going to leverage it uh, to put it to work uh, and get the lender to turn that 5 million you've raised from the investors into 25 million from your creditors. And then you have a real operation. So you're going to be able to build out a, a pretty substantial operation for $25 million. If you put the 5 million and then access the credit markets, and have the right team that you've put together and the model makes sense and the plan's good, the investor's gonna be able to look at that and see the return that they're gonna be getting. Uh, And then you're gonna be able to have that cash to go and apply for that loan. And that all gets baked into the cake of all the information that you have to disclose to the investor, otherwise he can sue you for many different causes of actions. So selling securities, what does that really mean? Uh, What is a security? Now, a security is defined under the (laughs) Security Investment Act of 1933, or that's just the Securities Act of 1933, and it's defined extremely broadly uh, in the sense that it could be those those loans that your company makes could be a security. Uh, The options that your company makes could be a security. Failure to disclose all of the information about the securities that you're selling can lead to securities fraud. So if you're doing this, like in a publicly traded market, you're going to have what they call for your stock a prospectus. Now we're not going to be doing publicly traded markets, you know, with IPOs and stuff. Nobody does that. Like 99% of companies, aren't that, uh, you're going to be doing the private placement stuff, the exemption exempt securities under five Oh six reg D. Uh, and then the corresponding state corollary to those, because very often what happens is the feds make a law and then all the States pretty much copy it. And then they can, uh, have all the same policies on an interstate level. Then you could even do crowdfunding. So that's one of the other things I wanted to plug our crowdfunding portal over at IllinoisCannabisFunding.com. Uh, this is not for uh, equities because we didn't want that to screw up the, um, you know, what do they call those, the org charts and the other things. We didn't want to use crowdfunding to do equities in cannabis because it just, you'd have too many people on the org chart and then everybody would have to be fingerprinted and all this other stuff. So we're like, well, let's make it a lump. But you can go and get listed with your cannabis company over at IllinoisCannabisFunding.com. Uh, And we can help you raise. And that might be really the way that you'd want to stand up a dispensary. See if you can raise $500,000 and then go access the debt markets and get your build-out done and get open. Uh, Okay. So let's talk about a PPM. A PPM, and we have several of them uh, in the cannabis space, no less. And so the one that is, you can see it's uh, on the right. That is, it's table of contents. And it's got all sorts of stuff that's in it, you know, the offering and the company, the overviews, all these types of disclosures that you're required to make. And it disclosed and it describes what securities are being offered, how much you have to invest, you know, what you're going to be doing with the money, all of that stuff. Um, and then I have not bad person because I didn't turn on. Do not disturb before this. And people are calling me. Okay. Do not disturb is now on. Okay. No, it's not. Google has updated that. Fuck. Well, I almost hit the tactical difficulties bumper on that one. Stop calling me seriously. Uh, okay. So, uh, lost my train of thought. The point is securities are broad and that if you're doing it publicly traded you have to have a prospectus if you're not doing it publicly traded it has to be exempt you still have to make full disclosure to your investors and the method that companies do that if they're doing a substantial raise a raise over two million bucks for example uh, is through a private placement memorandum Uh, we have a copy of several that we've drafted for offerings that we're doing uh, in illinois for craft grows this one that we have uh, detailed here, that one was to sell B shares. And a B share, uh, because of an LLC, you can carve up the profits interest however you want, uh, including you can cr- you can cleave profits from management. And so you could say that this class B share is entitled to 20% of our profit and then put a price for each unit, if you're in an LLC or stock, if you're in a a corporation setting for that unit and then sell them. And they gave a range. These guys were trying to raise between seven and thirty seven million dollars. And it doesn't necessarily matter how much they raise because it's only going to be 20 percent on a pro rata basis of the total profit. And they don't have any voting rights. So that's what one company did. Uh, and you really need to be able to find that investors whose motivation is cash flow uh, that doesn't really want to be in on the day to day management of the company. And that can be difficult to find in cannabis. It really can, you know. So this is a fun little board and we're going to go over it for a bit. This one has a whole bunch of information about um all the types of securities that are out there. Okay. And I'm going to blow this one up. For example, you have common stock. Now with common stocks, you can have those be um, pretty much anything. And so they're called units, of course, in an LLC, and then they're called stocks in a corporation. Now in a, corporation, you have directors. In an LLC, you have members or managers. And so the LLCs are the same as corporations, except LLCs are quite a bit more flexible and fun. LLCs can do things that corporations can't do. Um, They don't have the same formalities that uh, corporations do in the sense that No, you there's specific ways that a company is supposed to be able to handle its business and paper its documents in a corporate way, according to like laws of C Corps and stuff. LLCs don't have to do that. LLCs just have to have their manager, if it's a manager managed or their member, if it's a member managed, say, yeah, that's good. Um, And then so that that's what it means by less formality. And then there's more flexible LLCs are more flexible. What does that mean? Well, they can start carving up all the different classes of stock and, and you know, separate ownership from control, uh, make preferred shares. For example, we also have like class C shares up there. Uh, class C shares are something that Google used to keep control. And Actually, not just Google. A lot of tech companies have used it to keep control where they have a share of stock, which is just like a common share of stock, except it's a fraction of the voting interest. So it's, it's the same unit of kind of ownership, but with like a tenth of the vote. So you'd have to have 10 of those units of ownership to have one share of founder's share ownership. And so that's why they have like A shares, B shares, and C shares. Uh, a shares, B shares, and C shares is, is a great idea if you have different uh, points for why an investor would be interested in that particular uh, unit and what, that, what the rights of that unit entail. Uh, More on that would be found in your uh, PPM because it would have something about the offering and the securities that you're actually selling. Uh, We also go on and we describe limited partners, Uh, limited partners. Very often they're hedge funds. Hedge funds can be LLCs, by the way. Uh, Limited partners essentially just mean that they're silent partners. Very often is another thing that they're called where they make their investment and that's the extent that they can lose. They don't have unlimited liability. They aren't the general partner. They're just your investor. And then the managers of that fund put the limited partners money to work. Uh, Canada, for example, that's where a lot of their uh, cannabis companies are from. They're called LPs and they haven't really done that well. Uh, S-Corps, we even touch on those. Sometimes people ask about S-Corps. S-Corps can only have one type of ownership. Uh, And then there's also other restrictions on the ownership of S-Corps. I believe they can only have 100 uh, shareholders. Uh, And other funds are also limited by their types of ownership that they're allowed to have. And then we also talk about convertible notes. Those are notes that you make a loan. But on the back end, you kind of give them a little bit of an equity kicker uh, in the sense that after you've paid that convertible note holders interest for so many years and the note's going to come due. And now you're supposed to make the big lump sum payment. You can say, hey, how would you like to convert that? at a discount rate of, and then 70 cents is generous. 60 cents would be extremely generous and 50 cents. no, maybe that might be something that cannabis investors would really want because then you could show them, hey, we've doubled your your valuation, at least on paper. We'll get into the paper valuation here in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to go over all of the, the huge amount of various offerings that companies have that uh, are in their disposal of, of things that they can sell that are considered securities. And the last one that I really want to touch on are the warrants. And so these are called options. If you have like a, a regular stock market, if you're not the company issuing them, if you're like a, a third party issuing it, that is an option. And the option markets are you know, found in Chicago. It's part of where the uh, algorithm for it came from and uh if the company itself is issuing that right to buy its security in a a future time at a specific price and then those warrants go into the money as they're called because let's say uh, it gives me the right to buy a share at 50 cents and then after a year when we run the calculation of what our uh our you know net asset value or our uh, discounted cash flow valuation for our stock and uh, all of the shares and then what we think the company's worth, you know, how much has that gone up in that one year or two years? Like with the publicly traded cannabis companies, it's kind of easy. You can go look at what it's trading. And so like right now, those options that they they wrote, unless they were really, really cheap, like on Cresco or something, the, they probably expired worthless, you know, uh, because, the, it depends on what they're because options uh, they're like insurance contracts and so they have an expiration period. And they also have like a price and so like if if it was written at fifty cents, like you have the right to buy a share at fifty cents, and after two years you've done a great job and it looks like your stock price is now two dollars and fifty cents. As soon as you exercise that, you've made two dollars. Now, granted, it's a share of stock. It's probably going to be restricted. It's it's privately held. Uh, there's no market for that security. It's going to be a paper game. And so, you know, if you're going to give these types of equity kickers to your investors, make sure you show them an exit, you know, like, and then you're going to realize that, that huge upside when we get out of here in four to seven years and we sell it to that guy or we go public or whatever. Um, and then debt is a little bit better than equity in the sense that debt is cheaper than equity. Uh, as equity has a lot more, um, you know, it, it comes with a lot more control. It comes with a lot, you know, a fewer, um, ability to like restructure it, to pay it off, to get out of it. Uh, and then also, uh, credit is always paid before uh, equity holders. So if you were to file for bankruptcy, you'd be kicked out because you're a cannabis company. But if you fail, the people that get it first are the creditors the secured creditors and then the unsecured creditors and then the preferred shareholders. And then finally, the common stockholders uh, and so then just want to make sure everybody got an overview of all these things that are available to stocks uh, for companies to be able to sell and why uh, debt and equity are a little bit different and where they uh, range in the priority stack. All right. So what goes into a private placement memorandum or a PPM? Uh, A PPM is a very large document, not all that different from a prospectus in uh, terms of like a stock. And then that prospectus or this private placement memorandum discloses all the facts material to a purchaser of that investment. And then not only that, and make sure as because one of the aspects of a private placement memorandum is an eligibility questionnaire. And so an investor questionnaire and purchase agreement. Now, that investor questionnaire, very often that is set by, um, you know, uh, FINRA or by the SEC Form 1A. And so like there's you have to make sure that you're following following under this exemption so that you're able to uh, do this in a compliant fashion and uh, have that uh, investor questionnaire filled out. So that person is is representing to you. So they they would have been lying to you if they are lying, you know, if they if it's not accurate, and they fill that out that they are eligible to make this investment, they are a uh, at least an institutional uh, investor. And that's what that questionnaire really goes after. Um, but what else goes into it, you have you know, typically, the offering statement, the subscription procedure, like how do you make the investment? The executive summary, what are we going to do with all the money? The offering, well, what are we selling? What is the security? Is it debt? Is it um, uh, you know, options? Are it or warrants in the case of the person uh, being the company that's issuing them? Uh, is it equity? What type of equity? Is it preferred? Is it voting? Is it non-voting? You know how does it vest all of those things and then you also share all the risk factors what can go wrong in this income tax consideration and then you usually have exhibits at the end those exhibits have to do with your governing documents and so if we're raising money for an llc your most recent uh, updated or amended uh, operating agreement would be one of the exhibits And then so would the uh, investor questionnaire that they have to fill out to be compliant. And then also the purchase agreement so that you're making clear with the investor what the terms of the contracts are so that they can give you the money and then you go put it to work. Um, Now, I'm saying here's this PPM and maybe you should have one, but you don't necessarily need it in the sense that uh, it's not it's not always required. And so this PPM, if you're going to do something that's big and I consider big, which other people consider as nothing like but over $2 million. And so if you're going to be raising more than $2 million, maybe even 5 million. Sure. Then you need a PPM. But again, like this is rule 506 of reg D. They, they don't, they mandate initial disclosures are truthful and accurate information to investors, but there's no specific information or disclosures to creditors investors, so like they don't specifically say under the law that you need to have a PPM. It's just what's done uh, for large raises. And they do it because you want to uh, come off as credible and also ex- comply with all the securities laws and do it right. And then uh, do it in the way that other people are doing it so that when you ask that person who clearly has more than a million dollars to invest, it doesn't seem off you know it seems like they had a ppm just like all the other ones and their numbers seem good and they had access to uh the license and then they had uh, operators that had and i went to their farms in oregon so like there's this due diligence process that these uh, equity investors should be going through before they're going to just fork over millions of dollars to you to turn into three to five times that amount of money and then put it all to work so that you can start generating revenue and paying your creditors and then deducting that interest and declaring their balance over that to be a profit and then paying your investors whatever their particular percent that you negotiated with them pursuant to the terms of that PPMR. Uh, and so you're trying to find these accredited investors here. You can, know, you can tell they, they are usually getting on and or off private jets. Uh, they have assets over a million bucks beyond their principal reference, and they make over 200000 a year. Uh, and so there are several uh, accredited investors. They're not as rare as just straight up millionaires because you can be an accredited investor by cash flow. So salary over two hundred thousand dollars a year uh, a business that makes more than two hundred thousand dollars a year and that would be sufficient uh, and so you know it's it's not just now there's other ones that go up like qualified purchaser institutional investors like there's there's larger definitions that have even more money like you know one million two million three million uh and then if you're going to go public sure you probably have already had Several PPMs now when you go public, you're not gonna have a PPM, you know, it's not a private placement It's a public offering then you're gonna have to do all of that underwriting which is ridiculous You're gonna have to have a prospectus Then you're really gonna be regulated uh, under the securities regular, you know laws and regulations Unlike the cannabis companies which really aren't because it's still a federal crime It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to raise this money But it still would be that hard to raise that money, even if it was legal, because then, you know, you could actually go to a bank, but the bank would still want about 20 to 25% down. And if you're raising $10 million, that's like $2.5 million that you need down. And most people don't have that. And so that's one of the reasons why these limited partnerships are popular. Uh, And so you have the investor very often they get uh, preferred shares. They get something, but they don't really want control because their bag ain't weed or they're not the operators of the business. They just believe in its vision. They think the numbers add up. They think it's going to be a safe investment that's backed by adequate amounts of collateral and cash flow so that no matter what happens, at least they're going to get their money back and they're probably also going to get a healthy return. And so a good PPM for a big capital raise in excess of two to $5 million is really the way to go that. And of course, you're going to need a whole business plan that has the financial models that you can then use to base into the PPM. And then of course, you're going to a PPM is very often it's a, a good business plan, but it's a legalese business plan because business plans don't go into all the material risks. Of, a, of an offering. They usually kind of gloss over all those things. Um, but if you're going to be trying to avoid being sued for rescission or for securities fraud, you want to make sure that you've provided all complete disclosure of any possible risk. That could go wrong about how that person could lose their money. Because if it, if it goes wrong, they're going to sue you because they'd rather sue you than take a loss. Who wouldn't, right? Oh, I'm going to go did I skip one. No, great. And, and so here's our methods. This is what we do over at the shop. Uh, first, we're going to start with your personal financial statements. And then we're going to start with inputs to build your financial model. So your cost of construction and operations and then your cash flows. And then we're going to continue to flush that out into a financial model and investment deck that provides for your valuation. Because the whole goal is to get started and up so that that cash flow valuation is correct. And that's where you see a lot of the, at least on paper upside to the investment from the initial investor. And then, of course, from that cash flows, that initial investor also sees how they get paid. And so if this is going to be a preferred share and it's going to pay an 8% preferred, you know, you're going to have these projections of when you become profitable. And because you're using debt, you're not going to have to recapitalize $10 million worth of stuff. You're going to have uh, that capital down payment be somebody else's. Also, hopefully yours. You have some skin in the game, too. Uh, And then you're going to have that cash flow go through. You're going to pay the debt service on it. The rest is all going to be profit. And then you're going to allocate that to where it needs to go pursuant to the terms that uh, you would workshop with us. You know, And then once you know the deal, then you can build the PPM. And so first you have to really understand your offering. And so I'm doing an offering for up to nine uh, crafts in Illinois. And I finally kind of like figured out how I was going to do it and and tweak it and so then i can describe it in the 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 ppm so that when i am raising these pools of money uh i will be able to explain the concept to the investor and then i know what type of investor i'm looking for for that because each one of them then gets to be uh launched in a particular way. And there's a lot of NDAs and non-disclosures that you're going to build into your own because you're going to have your secret sauce. And so we have to kind of develop that. And that's that's essentially step four. You know, you strategize your goals with your investment and then flexible options that all LLCs offer for control and profits interest. For example, you know, you'd cleave off uh, a percentage of the interest or you'd have You know, even more, you could have more units outstanding in a particular class, give them no voting rights and only 20 percent of it. And so it would be interesting. You'd have more shareholders that have less of the company and few shareholders that have more of the company. These these LLCs can have very interesting ownership. And so can C-Corps. C-Corps can have a different uh, types of ownership as well. Not S-Corps. We've gone over this. Uh, And then once you understand the deal and it's like, okay, that's going to be your offering this is what type of securities that you want then we need to make sure that it's papered right and an oa is an operating agreement i prefer llcs unless you're going to immediately your exits to go public then sure you can do it as a c-corp but you know um, that's usually not what people are after and then they can clean it up before they go public uh and then of course you're going to have your a ppm if it's a big raise If it's not a big raise, like if it's only a couple million bucks, you could probably get away with a glorified subscription agreement Uh, if that subscription agreement makes sufficient disclosures so that they're all of them are covered. You know, it might be like a 30 page subscription agreement. But um, if it makes all the disclosures, it doesn't have to be a PPM. Plus, it could be a little bit cheaper because it doesn't make sense to spend what it costs to build these things unless you are raising. You know, over five, fifty million dollars because it's a lot of work that goes in, and these suckers can be tens of thousands of dollars to build these things. They're expensive, and then uh, you'd have to. Well, also, then after we get that, you're you're pretty much ready to then start shopping the deal. But we should talk about how to shop the deal so that you're compliant under Section five hundred six and the rules of advertising. You know, exempt offerings. You're really not allowed to. Uh, But then we'll give you a cheat sheet on how to figure out who you already have a previous relationship with and then who's in your network and who's not and what it means to advertise. There's all sorts of restrictions that have been baked into this because evidently, like before 1933, a lot of people got lied to about stocks. and They might have sold off pretty precipitously in 1929. And then Congress, in its infinite wisdom, made sure it never happened again at least not until I became a stockbroker two, until 2008. And then Congress, and in its infinite wisdom again, make sure that it will never happen again. And they passed the Dodd-Frank Act in 2010. There we go. Uh, and that brings us to the end. And I said, if there's gonna be any questions before the hour, I would take them. If there are, there's one comment that's in there. Uh, the government is ignorant for not starting a cannabis industry only for banking. Yeah, it's... They, you know, uh, it's a federal crime. It's a federal crime to bank cannabis. And if anybody has a question, we have a few more. You can reach me at Tom at uh, Collateral Base. That's the name of the firm. Uh, social media at Cannabis Industry Lawyer on, on Instagram, online at Cannabis Industry Of course, you can also reach us at CollateralBase.com. It's just that these get uh, a lot more traction, but then the, the name of the company is Collateral Base. Uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in. You have any questions about how to raise capital? If you're working on any and you need help with your models, you need help with um, you know, your securities offerings, and then your business plan. So it makes sense, and, and what you're offering, uh, and how to paper it. You know, give us a ring. Uh, and here's our contact information again. I do appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. It's been about an hour, uh, fairly well attended. Um, Next time, I'll be doing this again, but I'm really going to tailor it to the accredited investors and even the ones above that. But they just aren't any. You know, you'd have to go to like a boat race to find those people. All right. Thanks so much. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Uh, This will be live for you, and you'll get this uh, via email. And then I'm going to cut it up uh, to make three new videos. And I'll see you guys on Sunday when I read the news. Miggy. Crack